0: Okay, Andy, here's one for you. My finance director just gave me her resignation, and I am trying to rapidly brain dump everything we need to cover before her departure. Can you offer any suggestions or resources? Perhaps things to avoid. I rely heavily on this position, so am really stressed about making sure things can carry on when she's gone.
1: It's not necessarily a finance question. It's a a generic question. I think from the finance perspective, like... You probably need an accounting manual. Like at some point, somebody needs to document what they do. If like, and and you need to kind of have sort of a sense of what needs to be triaged. I think in any case, right? But finance is really the easiest place to see this because you got to make payroll. Somebody's got to figure out how to do that. You have to pay bills. Somebody's got to have to figure out how to do that. Um, And, and if there's, so if there's any money going in and out of the organization, that needs to continue as well. Donors need to be thanked. Their checks need to be deposited into the account. So there's stuff that has to happen. And, and if it's that critical, if it's mission critical to be able to do that stuff, you you probably need to have some sort of process that where there's not one person that knows how to do it. You need to either have the documentation to let other people know how to do it, or there needs to be a plan B because has your finance director ever gone on vacation? because if they have, how did payroll get done? Like, did they do it before they left? If that's the case, that's dangerous anyway. But, but it's, you know, it, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be an emergency because you probably should have figured out a way to deal with that previously.
0: It, it goes down. Like, I think having all of the, the other, having all of the key information for any position it down in writing in, in some place that is, accessible and people know where to find it for every position in an organization is is important um i wonder for finance yeah like is there is there a way to bring in is there an interim person who can kind of take over in the interim till you hire this replacement that can maybe do an exchange with your finance director or at least um sort of pick up where the finance director left off um i i just i guess i just sit there and i think it's really dangerous not to have some of these systems in place in organizations. And, and I get it. Like everyone's busy, everyone's wearing a hundred hats and it's like, Oh, I'll get to that tomorrow. I'll get down to documenting this process or procedure tomorrow. Uh, I'll get down to, you know, I'll in the future, I'll put down all my passwords of how I get into things. Like, I don't know, like it, there's gotta be some sort of, I think, built in mechanism where we start making that more of a priority in our organizations and. And holding people accountable for it because it's crippling
1: when they yeah. leave. Well, in in the sense of finance stuff, like there, there should never be only one person who knows how to do stuff because you've that goes against all internal controls. So if there's only one person that knows how to do payroll, that means they've been stealing from you this whole time because no one's checking their work because they don't know how it works. They don't know how to they don't know how to follow the steps that they've. You don't know how to follow the steps that they've been following to create the payroll stuff. If one person is depositing the checks, they're stealing the checks because nobody's keeping an eye on them. So you always have to have and even in the tiniest organizations, you need to have two people that understand all of it and can do it at any given time, just because they're the ones that are keeping an eye on each other. Um, that's just, I mean, it just kind of has to be like that. And if you've run with like, just letting one person go, and then, I mean, now you're, you may see that after this person leaves and then you open up the books and you're like, oh dear look what's been happening over the last two years. No wonder they left, right? They left before yeah. I caught them. So so it's it's something that you, your auditors probably should have pointed out to you previously anyway is you know, somebody should be checking the payroll. Somebody should be entering the payroll journal entry like in bigger organizations, like um, for things like bank reconciliations, like there should be two people doing the bank reconciliations because occasionally the ED needs to be, okay, it's my turn to do bank recs because that's yeah. the only way that somebody else is going to ever check their work. You have to have that process in place for internal controls anyway.
0: It's a super good point. I also, the other thing I was thinking about is it sounds like this person is not leaving on bad terms. And so I just wonder if you can, if something's needed, can you, can you set up a system where you call them and say, Hey, if I have any questions or run into any problems, I know you're moving on. You don't owe me anything, but I hope just because you care about this organization or whatever, can you step in? I mean... I think that um, I know I've been in other positions where when I've left, I've had people that have needed to call me from time to time or something they couldn't have planned on asking comes up. And, you know, of course, I'm going to share it like I don't know, like to me, it just feels like most people, um, if they're good people, like good humans are willing to help you out if you need to. I wouldn't rely on that, but certainly that's another option, too. Nonprofit
1: governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit boards. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit with your host, Andy Shurek and Stacey Wedding.
0: Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Nonprofit Everything. You know, Andy, what one of my favorite things is about our podcast?
1: Mm, the music? <laughs> no,
0: I'm sorry. It's not the music. It's the awesome questions we get and the awesome pushback we get. We've had a few people that have actually they listen and they go, don't agree, or you were completely wrong, or I want to share another perspective. So I love that we have engaged listeners. So just sharing the love today for all of you. Also sharing the love for Ann Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits, who makes this possible. And uh, for all of you, keep us smiling and keep sharing the love with us through your questions. You can reach us just about anywhere, anyway. So just do it.
1: Today's episode is sponsored by the HR Collaborative. The HR Collaborative was formed to help build nonprofit strengths through improved human resources, It provides professional development opportunities, networking, and sharing of best practices on HR issues faced by nonprofit organizations. The Collaborative meets bi-monthly. Membership is free and open to anyone who works for a nonprofit and has HR responsibilities. For more information or to attend an upcoming meeting, visit their website at www.hrcollaborativelv.org. Check out the Nonprofit Everything show notes for more information.
0: I am retiring as the founding ED of my nonprofit, and I'd love to offer support to the new ED when he or she is hired. From your experience, how can the organization make this arrangement work? I would like to make introductions to key donors and partners for our new ED. And from an optics standpoint, I think it will look best if I'm still connected in some way during this transition.
1: Man, I love these questions. So so my question back would be, because you're requ- retiring as the founding ED, you really have to decide whether or not it's your organization or if the organization belongs to the community. Like, is it yours? Is it your nonprofit? Was it your your purpose that, that put it into its existence and the only reason it exists is because of you? Or is it something that the community needs? And the fact that you're retiring means you're passing it along to the next generation to take over from you. Because there's, they're, are probably, you know, I'm sure you're thinking of all of these practical reasons why you need to be involved that you've made these connections with all these donors for this much amount of time. You're the face of the organization. You sign the thank you notes. You're, you're inextricably wrapped up in all of the operations of the, of the nonprofit. So you feel like if you leave, that there's something that some sort of vital, vital, spark that's going to be gone from the organization because you were the one that provided it. Um, I would, I would step back and say, why am I retiring? Is it because the organization's in a good place and I'm, it's my, I can pass it on to the next, the next group of people to take and move on. Or am I retiring just because, you know, I don't want to work 40 hours a week anymore but I still want 100% control of this organization that I used to be in charge of because those are two different things. And I, I would propose that the second one is very unhealthy and is not going to be good for the people that you leave. Um, sure, if, you I mean, when you leave an organization, if you're truly retiring from an organization and when you're leaving it, you should be leaving it with the, the feeling that, I have done everything I can to set this organization up for success in the future. Absolutely everything before I walk out the door. And when I walk out the door, I would like to say, Hey, if you guys need anything, if there's anything I can help with, if there's something that's confusing or, or, you know, something that you need more documentation or information on, give me a call. Like I'm happy to talk to anybody about anything because, you know, I did this for a super long time and I know a bunch of stuff, but But the last thing that you want to leave your organization with is, well, that's not the way she would have done it. Right. That's not like when she was here, we weren't allowed to do that. Right. And then and then somebody's calling you on the back on the bat phone, right? Well, Susie wants to do it this. And we always did it this way. And I was, you know, because then all you're doing is undermining not only your board, but the new executive director that you've hired. And if you truly care about the mission and you truly care about the organization, you don't want to be an impediment right? And, and I, I get that from the sense of your question, that you don't want to, you don't want to hurt the organization. So, so make a clean break and make yourself available for any information that they need, but don't keep yourself involved. That's just, that's just ego. That's just ego and, and it's not good for anybody.
0: I also think you have to consider, I mean, it's not just your choice. I, and as crass as that sounds, If you officially are retiring, I mean, unless I don't know, you know, what your board thinks about all this, since it is the board's job to hire, fire, evaluate, EDs. I know that sometimes gets a little messy with founders, but I'm curious to know what your board's thoughts are on this. And and candidly speaking, once a new successor is hired, it really becomes up to them how much they want to utilize you or not. So... So the reality is you're going to have to swallow that pill that they may want nothing to do with you. And I've seen that happen before. And then they may, depending on kind of how you go into this, may be very interested in in sort of tapping into your knowledge, your wisdom, um, everything you've put into this this far. Um, I mean, what I think makes these things work is really being super clear, transparent, communicating about the roles and boundaries for all parties. So if you are going to stay involved in some way, I think that really needs to be crystal clear defined. I definitely think you have to be off site. uh, Because being in an office, I can speak from experience, having been in that situation as a staffer before, and having sort of the the old guard and the new guard coming on it's uncomfortable and there's this sort of tension around wanting to be loyal to the person who was there for so long and also wanting to to tap into the expertise of the new person so you really can make this a lot more complicated being involved and yet there are a lot of studies and research that have shown that if it's done well and done properly and clearly outlined with some of these hard discussions about roles and boundaries, that sometimes that can really actually help an organization with the transition. Because you are the founder, you do have these sort of embedded relationships. And there, if it's done the right way, it can actually help the organization at the end. And that's what um, Stanford Social Innovation Review has done some great articles on this. Um, there, there's some just great great information and research done um but i do think your your question andy really is like the crux of the first point of this right like what is the why you're retiring and having to let go is hard so this is kind of an interesting model of thinking about how that needs to happen you 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 li- anyone who's listening, I would love to encourage them to think that if they are a founder and they're even contemplating some sort of retirement or transitioning out of that role, it is a process and you've got to plan for it and and, and get used to sort of the change management around it because there's a lot of moving pieces and it can fall apart quickly and kind of destroy everything you've done if you're not careful.
1: Yeah. And and we've seen where after a founder leaves the, the board who's gotten so used to having the founder do everything because the founder was the founder, is gets really uncomfortable about bringing somebody in who might not have that same, or they, they feel like might not have that same level of passion about making sure that the organization is is doing everything it needs to do. So So getting the board to understand that it's okay. If the founder wants to retire, that's okay. Like, like and and maybe you need to come up with the narrative about why the retirement is happening that doesn't make it feel like to the board, well, you know he just got bored or he you know he ran out of ideas or he got too too old to do the job or whatever the whatever the narrative that staff is gonna make up like there may be need to come up with something that explains like why the founder is stepping away that that doesn't make it seem like there's some sort of lingering problem. Cause I can see that why be, you know, that's why I want to stick around is just to sort of prove that I still have passion for the organization. And I still think it's a good idea.
0: I also think if you flip this on its head and think about your successor, who's coming in, um, being able to have at least, I, I would love, I would love nothing more than if you and that successor could sit down and really just have a, a conversation about your why, why you had the passion to start this to begin with, right? Why um, share your story about about what gaps you saw that existed and that you really wanted to jump in and fill. I I think that's such important history to be able to transition as a founder that probably the new person is going to be interested in as well. And that's sort of the starting place. But I also think kind of getting clear on on where what boundaries you're going to set for yourself so you're not interfering when staff does call you depending on your relationship when board members call you to say oh my god the new person is making us step up like i mean making us do all this stuff you never made us do this is crazy like (laughs) you've got to be able to which let's be honest andy that's probably why most boards Don't don't want their founder to leave because the founder makes their job easy. I mean, so many times uh, now they're going to actually have to step up and work, God forbid. So, yeah. Anyways, I just think there's a whole lot of kind of reflection that has to happen and then just really communication and clarity.
1: Our board governance committee is going to begin reworking our bylaws soon to align with board best practice. We recently established this committee, and I want to make sure that this isn't an awful experience and doesn't scare away our committee members. My past experience with bylaws updates is probably clouding my judgment, as it was a huge headache and a really time-consuming process. Do you have any suggestions on how to make this a seamless process and a positive experience for all?
0: I'm not sure I could ever put bylaws and positive. In the same sentence, I mean, it it, it is okay. So let's just address, address this right off the bat. I don't think anyone's going to be having, you know, getting all excited and energized by bylaws. I mean, maybe some rare breed is, but I don't think in general, right? (laughs) Okay. So I, I'm going to answer, I will get to the actual answer, like from my perspective, but I will tell you first, like, I would love it if for this committee, I mean, you talk about not wanting to scare away committee members. I'm wondering why I mean, I understand bylaws are sort of the foundational element, but like I wish there was something a little more um, interesting, engaging, like when you start the committee instead of starting them with this really sort of beast of a project, I mean, I strategically like doing when you have a new group, I love giving them something that's a little bit more of like a quick win, something that's like a quick win and something to celebrate and kind of build a momentum instead of like starting out with something heavy like this. So I don't know if you have flexibility for that, but um, that might be one suggestion. Um, but I think the the, the bottom line is um, there is there are some key things that I think really make bylaws sort of updates easier. One is sort of removing the actual document from the discussion. So that sounds probably weird, but when you look at your bylaws, there's usually, there's all the kind of common stuff that just is included in normal bylaws, right? So indemnification, conflict of interest, uh, you know, signing authority is sometimes in there, whatever. Like there's all those typical things, but there's some really, if we want to call them juicy, because juicy seems to be the word, uh, if we want to call them juicy topics, like about term limits and whether there should be term limits and what are the pros and cons of that, And what should those term limits be? Um, Same for officer term limits, officer positions. I just went through this with um, an organization I'm working with that, you know, they have really had a lot of heartfelt discussion about should it be a chairperson elect that automatically succeeds into chairperson? Like, is that the way the bylaws should be written? Or should it actually be more of a vice chairperson position That has the option, but isn't an automatically success, you know, succeeding into that position. And that turned into a really robust, I think, super healthy conversation. And so instead of kind of getting into the nitty gritty of the wordsmithing of bylaws, it was about the larger picture issues that bylaws need to answer. And so kind of separating that and having that discussion is what I think can really make it more interesting, more engaging and have some pretty fruitful uh, feedback and discussion as a part of it.
1: I think that's a great idea because, yeah, the bylaws, tweaking bylaws is a lot like when you're doing the strategic planning session and we bring like the mission up and we need to spend an inordinate amount of time deciding, you know, what dependent clause needs to go where. And, and you look at it so many times that you end up with this like word spaghetti at the end of it, because, because you've read it so many times, like none of the words mean anything anymore. It's like you say the word purple over again, over and over again. It just you're like, how is that a word? Purple, purple. That's, that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> so like the bylaws can get into that same sort of zone of like, I don't even know what this means, or I'm confused by what this is supposed to mean. I would, I would recommend, um, exactly what you said, which is I think a really good idea of just completely starting from scratch of not using your existing document as a template, not even talking about what's in it. And then, and then doing, you know, whoever's, whoever's sort of leading the process of doing the research to figure out what good bylaws are supposed to have in them. Because for example, signing authority and who's allowed to sign for what and how many signatures on a check should absolutely, my opinion, absolutely not be in bylaws. That is just wasteful garbage that doesn't belong in there because you don't want to, and I, I learned this from, from a, a, um, An attorney that I worked with on a board quite a while back who was adamant about making the bylaws as flexible as possible within like whatever limits of legality so that you didn't have to ever go back and get the board to change the bylaws, like, you know, amending the Constitution of the United States, right? You just can't do it at this point anymore. It's impossible. So, like, changing the bylaws is such a long and drawn out process that if you need to do something, you need to adjust something on the fly like having to go back and look at the bylaws to make the adjustment is a really it's a really long hard slog um so making them as flexible as possible while still keeping them in the bounds of what are supposed to be legal bylaws um and then that makes the whole process a lot easier too because then you're thinking about like what has to be in here like not what do i want in here but what has to be in here because that's really all the bylaws should be and everything else you can push down to policies that either the board decides or the staff decides
0: And think about it as a board member. So you're there and you have, and I've seen this before, right? 19 pages of bylaws. And you're going to try to find the provision or clause of how you're supposed to do something. It's inefficient. It's ridiculous. Nobody, like people glaze over. No one knows it. So like, I think the best, I've seen amazing bylaws done in four pages. I mean, because back to what you said, Andy, flexibility and you just refer to or make sure you have a policy Or like instead of putting your whole description of officers and committees you have, literally put one line in there and have that charter and job description separate. Like it's just there's so many things that people make this mistake of feeling like they have to shove it all in there. And as you said, it's a beast to have to go change it. It's ridiculous.
1: I also like your idea about coming up with something for the governance committee to do that isn't as as nauseating as touching the bylaws first. So um and I don't know Stacey, I always used so board source years ago had a series of pamphlets um about different committees and what the committee's supposed to do. I haven't seen them lately, so you'll have to tell me if they're still good. They
0: are good and they also have and I'm just I was trying to go through like my memory bank to remember if I paid for this or if it was free. But um if it's for free, we'll put the link. Board source for a while also had template bylaws that were like vetted by i mean every state has some different rules and regulations nevada's really lax so we pretty much fall under anybody else's like rules but um but they had some templates that were you know reviewed by an attorney and that are really straightforward and simple so if if we can find that link um even if it is a small cost it might be worth looking at as an example of a best practice bylaws.
1: And then, so, and one of the other things that they had that I always found really useful was like, here's the list of the things that the governance committee should be responsible yeah. for. So, it's, these are all the documents that they should be responsible for. And this is the sort of cadence over which they should review it. So, for every quarterly board meeting, they should have at least looked at the conflict of interest policy, you know, and all that. So, so having that kind of set up, you can sort of set the rotation and put some of the more Um, interesting policies that they have to look at, like closer in the rotation. So that by the time they get to bylaws, they like, they're nice to each other and they kind of have a process and it kind of keeps them on top of everything. And auditors really also like seeing that you've done all of these things and you've got a cadence where, you know, we look at the bylaws and review them by the governance committee to make sure that they make sense for us once a year or once every two years or whatever it is. And they like seeing that that's happening and that's been signed off on. So coming up with like, What else the governance committee is responsible for is a big piece of it, I think.
0: And I do think a lot of this, um, for those of you not familiar with BoardSource, definitely should be your friend, have it bookmarked. Uh, They've got a ton of free resources. And what you just talked about, Andy, as far as like committee charters and stuff, and just kind of what the committee's responsibility is or should be looking at, they've got all that still available. So uh, boardsource.org is your friend.
1: that's it you got to the end of another episode of nonprofit everything stacy and i are really thankful that you've asked us questions we're also really thankful that you've uh, decided to listen to the podcast all the way to the end so again this is a, a production of the alliance for nevada nonprofits and just keep sending us your questions we you know if they're stupid if they're great it doesn't matter we'll answer them all so just just shoot them in any way you can because that's that's what makes us happy. And I know that's why you're here is just to make the two of us really happy.
0: There are no stupid questions, Andy. We've got to retrain you.
1: <laughs> there are no stupid questions, just stupid people.